We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 298 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and taking on the challenge of breaking down Dinamo Kiev and previewing El Clasico is Rafa Aldamui of Meske Un Podcast, and now also I'd say YouTube fame by the same name. Rafa, I, I, I guess welcome. Yeah, welcome back. You've been here enough. Yeah, I've been here before, and uh, once again, thank you very much for having me. I always have a great time going from Spanish to English. I do have to practice. Um because now I don't live in the U.S. anymore. So th- this helps me a little bit. Uh, although when I lived in the U.S., for some reason, because I was just going from Spanish to English and back and forth every single day, it, I just got mixed up. And basically, I was just speaking Spanglish. So now I think it, my brain like breathes a little bit better from English. And then it, that helps me when I need to speak English. So well, Rafa, I'm good. I, can, I can promise you that from Spanish to English for you, Compare that to my English to Spanish. Uh, we're, we're, very, we're very, very happy for you to bring your English flavor here. So, Rafa, we have to start, unfortunately, before we preview El Clasico, before we talk about Ansu Fati's renewal as well. We have to do start to go back and go with that one nothing to Kiev. You know, I was thinking about this one, you know, with the match review, the five headlines I usually do for YouTube. I felt myself being a bit more complaining than usual. And as much as I didn't think that there was a lot to talk about with this one nothing game, it was kind of like grab the three points and move on. You know, like, because they still worked in the Champions League. And I think people were really doing a good job of trying to put this in the context of between Valencia, Real Madrid, and Dinamo Kiev. Dinamo Kiev was the must-win game. You had to get the three points in the Champions League to keep yourself alive. But it didn't really matter how you got those three points against Dinamo Kiev. Where against Valencia and Real Madrid, if you don't play well and you don't bring your A game, they were going to turn you inside out. But Dinamo Kiev just doesn't really have enough attacking weapons as they proved, nor do they have the game plan to really take it to Barcelona. So for Barca to just get one nothing, it doesn't matter because it really just comes down to getting the three points. And you don't even worry about the goal differential in the Champions League. You just worry about beating Benfica next time and, I mean, maybe pulling off some kind of miracle against Bayern Munich. But again, if they beat Benfica, then they've done their job and they can move on to the next round because of that draw between Kiev and Benfica. No, I completely agree. And I was saying that when I was I was live on YouTube during the game. At the end of the day, this, like you said, I agree with you. This game against Dinamo Kiev, I know Barcelona, we tend to like judge how we play 99% of the time. But this one, the way we were, we still are in this group. The only thing that mattered were the three points. And I, I've read a lot of criticism for this game, and I think honestly, I I think it's unfounded. Obviously, we didn't play. It would, this wasn't like the 2011 Barcelona, and we're not. But I didn't think we played as bad as a lot of people. Surprisingly, were were saying we did. The Barcelona fans, at the end of the day, I think we had, especially in the first half, even when, in my opinion, we were playing with ten men because I'm sorry, Luke is just he doesn't have the quality to play for FC Barcelona. So I. I think we were playing with 10 men. We did enough to, I think, 1-0 at halftime wasn't a deserved scoreline. I thought maybe we could have been up at least 2-0. Like Sergio Des had two clear-cut chances. The first one, a header. I know he's that's not his specialty, but 
it was a clear caught chance in my opinion. And he didn't put it away. He then also had another one, which he just smashed at the Dinamo Kiev keeper that if he would have been a little bit more calm, again, that would have been another goal. So yeah, during the second half, I, I don't think we played well. Um, but I don't know. I don't have a magic ball. I don't know the exact reason, but I think we were, we well, were I've playing got some with, guesses. I do have some guesses for you, Rafa. <laughs> we were playing with fire. I get it. One nil Dinamo Kiev could have scored. It, it happens at any, at any given time on a corner or a counter attack. But I just thought that just in the back of their minds, they were like, Dinamo Kiev aren't like creating that many clear cut chances basically none we do have real madrid classico in a few days so i think i i don't know if the players like consciously were doing it but maybe unconsciously they just had the handbrake on and we're just like hey let's just yeah. pass it around not force it that much because honestly i didn't see even though we weren't creating during the second half much danger i don't i didn't feel like dinamo kiev were gonna tie the game technically at any moment yeah, I had a little list here, again, coming from the five headlines I do for YouTube yesterday. Do you want to start with the positives and the negatives I have? Hey, I'm a always glass half full person. Let's go with the positives first. <laughs> okay, let's start with the positives. I want, my first positive here for you is I thought the shape of the midfield coming off the Valencia match. So one of the big things that before the international break we were talking about, a lot of it was Busquets. And a lot of it was De Young's positioning and the fact that De Young had to make a lot of runs into the opposing box because Barca just don't create enough from their forward line uh, with the exception of what we saw Ansu do against Valencia and Levante. And then Memphis, when he's able to play off somebody like Pedri, I think he plays, those two have already started to play well. But when you have a Luke de Young up top, there's a lot of work that Frankie de Young has to do to get in behind and make himself dangerous in the box. And that leaves that positioning and that space between he and Busquets, you know, it, 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 it doesn't work. And then even if you kept, brought him really close to Busquets, it doesn't work either because that double pivot, just the dribbling nature of de Young doesn't fit with the way that Busquets passes the ball, you know, in those small spaces and those tight spots. But I thought the shape of this midfield, even though Barca in theory were kind of in a different formation than they were against Valencia, it wasn't exactly that 3-5-2. It was a little bit altered to, I mean, you should call it a 4-3-3. I think you would call it a, a, against Dean Mokiev. But I think Busquets and De Jong, even in that version, in the, as the formation changed a bit, they still kept the same position where as Barca build up out of the back, and you lost Eric Garcia and replaced him with Langley. And I want to talk about Langley. He actually is in my positives, Rafa. But as far as the positioning of Busquets and De Young, I thought they complemented each other well again. And if those were on the same page, which I felt like they were two straight games, that does bode well, not only for Barca's attack, but how solid their defense is. So I know that we always, we always think of football in terms of what is Barca A doing with the ball and B, you know, how many goals do they score and what does it look like when they're playing for? But as I had said on the, on, on the show earlier in the week, I want to see Barca defending on the front foot. And I think that Busquets and De Jong did that against Dinamo Kiev. So I was happy to see that. And that's one of the big reasons why Dinamo didn't have any shots on goal. It wasn't just because they were bad. It's because Barca's midfield and Busquets and De Jong suffocated them because they had really good positioning next to one another. And I was happy to see that. No, I agree with that. And then especially I know, Frankie is a big topic of discussion in Barcelona's midfield because the ceiling is so high with him that a lot of times it's not that he doesn't play well. It's just that he doesn't play as well as we all think he should, which is a big difference. And then that mixture between him and Busquets is always a topic of discussion. Then we at first we thought, oh, he's going to be Busquets' replacement down the future. Now I'm not so sure he that's his perfect position. I think it's just, it's just still a work in progress. But um, but another thing real quick about the midfield is that when uh, I think this happened more than during the Valencia game, but I just like want to put it out there. When Frankie, when the opponent is pressing us real high up, and Frankie is able, let's say whether it's like Ter Stegen, he just jumps the defense and passes the ball to Frankie. And when he's able to turn around, put the player that's pressing him behind him and dribble the ball, like dribble the ball down the pitch. He's so good at that because he's, he's people. I, I don't think he gets enough recognition for this, but physically he's a specimen. He's really tall, real fast, real strong. And when he just gets the ball and he's able to maybe if there's someone real quick behind him, 
he's so big that he's able to like shield the player that's running behind him and just keep dribbling, dribbling. Like he can create so much because of that. During the Valencia game, his end product doing that, I think if he was a little bit more, I mean, if he was a little bit more clinical in the last third, I think we could have scored like two or three goals. But his end product, well, he the last pass wasn't as as crisp as it maybe should have been. But when Frankie is, he has open court to just like run like a horse. He just has room to maneuver. I think that's a big, big advantage for Barcelona. And um, I know obviously we'll talk about classic a little bit later. But just since you were talking about Barcelona's midfield, I just think that's such a big asset for Barcelona when they they are able to exploit it. Yeah, and I don't want to think of that midfield of Busquets and De Jong because we've already seen them now for multiple years together. And you think, oh, they can't get better, they can't improve. But system and understanding of space can change based on what the jobs are of other players, right? So I, I think, again, I'm. it's good to see, even though, you know, Busquets, you're not going to say that, oh, if you win one nothing, then no one played it well or uh, X, Y, Z. But again, I think their positioning was good. And yeah, I would have liked to see more offensively out of De Jong. You know, his, his balls weren't great. I mean, he wasn't really finding himself offensively in that game. But as I said, defensively, I was happy with it. And speaking of the defense, I want to ask you who your man of the match was, because I think and there were only two choices, truly two choices. So, I mean, give me your give me your man of the match. And I, I mean, I think I've got good things to say about both our options. They were the two best players in the game by far. To be fair, I'm, I know I've, I've always been a PK stand. Even though he gets criticized a lot, I think more often than not, it's a little bit. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's games where he's horrible, but he's really old right now. And for the most part, I think the way throughout his career, without being the fastest guy ever on the pitch, because it, it it's not like he's slow now. He's always been slow, but he's been so good at positioning himself on the pitch for the most part throughout his career to make up for that. And then I think he's just, yes, he has some blunders here and there more now because of his age. But I just like the ugly truth is, is whether you're, it is something good or not. Before Araujo, he was our best center back. Now that Araujo has like come through, I think Araujo is our best center back. But I think he, Piquet, is still our second best center back. Whether Kules think that's not good at all. But I still think he's one, and I think he's just, and real quick, I think he just think he's so underrated because of all the off-pitch shenanigans that he's done throughout his career. And I think it's it's just, I think, I don't want to get in this discussion here real quick, uh, real quick, but the whole Sergio Ramos versus Pique throughout their careers, to me, it's mind-boggling how with some fans, and not even Real Madrid fans, because it's obvious that they're, they're going to say Sergio Ramos. But like when you bring up this topic, PK versus Sergio Ramos, it's like when you say that you think, in my opinion, PK has been a better defender than Sergio Ramos throughout their entire careers. People look at you like oh, gas, like what? PK? Like obviously, you can have your opinion. I'm not saying you're right or wrong, but like the the sheer like gasp in people when you say that you think PK has been better. It's like, wow, like even if Sergio Ramos is better, it's not by that much. So to me, it's still like, it just shows how underrated PK, in my opinion, has been throughout his, in his entire career. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Yeah, I mean, I think him also retiring from the Spanish national team a little bit earlier in what he did, and also how outspoken he is, not against the Spanish national team, but in, you know, for the Catalan, the, the <laughs> actual, the existence of the Catalan national team and everything that goes along with that. I think that he is a bit buried in that way in the Spanish press when comparing the two. I think it's pretty obvious. So yeah, PK, I, I was going to say, I, I don't want to, you know, stir the pot here on conspiracy theories, but I say both my man of the match candidates have certainly had the same kind of, let's say, work on their hair, on their scalp, that uh, maybe someday I, I'm very close to, to needing something like that. Because PK and Alba, at, both, at one point, they were, they were kind of losing it on the top and also losing it in their skill sets. But whatever hair that was put on Jordi Alba's head, so he was my man of the match because, I mean, he looked uh, absolutely terrific yesterday. Uh, let me add to the PK point. Totally understand the argument. He winds up scoring the first goal in the Liga in the post-Messi era. He scores the first goal in the Champions League in the post-Messi era. Yesterday, he was seven for nine on long balls, six of seven on aerial duels. And actually, what was most impressive was not the PK performance, was the fact that he bounced back from Valencia in the way that he did in this, you know, and, and, and I want to make very clear that Valencia was a 3-1 victory. Dinamo Kiev was a 1-0 win. Right. But PK was leagues better against Dinamo Kiev than he individually was against Valencia. So I think it's always difficult and people have a hard time saying, well, we have a list of good players. And we have a list of bad players. Right. So bad players, when Barca struggle, are the ones who are doing poorly. And when Barca play well, then the good players are the ones that always have to do well. Right. And, and we, we kind of try to put them in different pots. And PK can be bad when Barca are good. And PK has proven to be good when Barca are bad. And so I thought PK was good in that match and certainly could have been the man of the match. But for Jordi Alba, five of 10 on his, uh, on his crossing. And it's not that he's such a step up from Dest for his crossing, but there's just, I mean, it's, it's obviously more precision. It's more dangerous. If not for, if not for Jordi Alba, I wouldn't have even mentioned Luke de Young. I mean, I, we don't need to do the Luke de Young thing. Everyone rolls their eyes. Like he's not going to be there. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I don't want to even waste time on it, but Jordi Alba even made him relevant. Like if, if not for Alba, he doesn't even get that opportunity to sky that header. Right. He doesn't even get that opportunity for that ball to fall for him where he where I think he skied it over. And then the two big chances that Alba created, one of which was a goal, three or four on long balls. But most importantly, I think for Alba and why he was my man in the match, even over PK, Jordi Alba returned to the lineup, dictated the way that Barca played. And that's why I was so impressed by what he did. He wasn't just dangerous on the left flank. He made Dinamo Kiev take what was supposed to be a kind of regular, even keel, protect the center of the field, low block. And he was so dangerous on the left side, they had to start strong siding the left side of the field. And so the reason why I think he was so good in the first half was he had that room to roam, yes, but he also was purposeful with that space. And then in the 58th minute, when Coutinho comes on the field for Ansu Fadi, and I, I don't want to already start the negative thing, but my first negative is the Coutinho thing. I, I'm just, I'm leading you. I want to do Langley first on my positives, but to the Coutinho thing, it's a, to me, it's a positive about Jordi Alba, that when Coutinho came on and that left side became a bit clogged and much easier for Dinamo Kiev to defend, then Kiev, again, we're, we're not really troubled anymore by Alba and Alba was defending a bit more. So it, it just tells you that when Alba was getting forward and making an impact and there was space for him to run into in the left side, Barcelona was just so dynamic. They were passing the ball better. It was quicker. They were just more organized. And then the second half, when he wasn't getting forward as much, his last assist defending stopped one of the better Dinamo attempts in the second half. So he did his job defensively. And there's not much more I can ask from him on the attacking side of things where he was putting dangerous balls in. And I mean, between him and Dest, they were the two. I mean, you could argue that Dest and Alba were definitely creating more. Well, they were statistically creating more XG than Memphis and Luke de Young did in that first half. And it's not close. And that tells me that when you actually do get players who aren't Luke de Young in, in your middle, in the middle there, and Memphis, again, can combine with Anzu, whoever else may be, maybe Aguero's got something, then you're going to put yourself in a much more dangerous, right? Those chances are going to be converted. And I don't want to pin it on Luke de Young, but, you know, I, I think that, I, that's why Jordi Alba to me. I think he dictated the way Barca plays. Yeah. Do you have another positive or do we want to go to Langley's my final positive? So I want to give you the opportunity to, if you have any more to throw out there. No, honestly, because that, yeah, I, I'll say no, I don't have any more positives. And I was going to mention the negatives. So obviously, we'll, we'll get to that right now. So I'll just wait. Well, yeah, I just want to mention Langley almost in passing here. He was five for six on his duels, made the right decisions. I was really happy actually with his distribution, which is where, where I believe that he should be below Eric Garcia on the depth chart. It's because of that, disposi that, that, 
that distribution. Because as I've said, with Eric Garcia and Busquets, oh, why are they good for Spain and not good for Barcelona? It's because they're defending on the front foot. And Eric Garcia's passing out of the back allows you to break lines, allows Busquets and De Jong to be a bit farther up the field when they're receiving it. That means you turn the ball over farther up the field. So for Langley, though, he wasn't a problem yesterday at all. And I thought for him to be out with injury and then also kind of take the confidence hit of being so low on that depth chart as he was returning, I was happy to see how good he was in his first start of the season. And I think... I mean, it's going to be a huge jump in El Clasico, right? And everyone, I, I know with him having to deal with Karim Benzema, everyone's going to change their tune on Langley. But I kind of want to almost put it on record now that I'm not saying that Langley, you know, should be starting El Clasico. If Araujo was healthy, Langley would certainly be on the bench and only come in in the 92nd minute or something. If, if, if you know, Barca, through some act of God, is up by one goal or two goals in El Clasico. So Langley, in a better position, maybe Eric Garcia will even start and Langley won't start. But if Langley will start El Clasico, yes, I'm still worried because he has not been in form for a year and a half. But I, it was a bright side to see what he was against Dinamo Kiev. So if he is who he was against Dinamo Kiev, Barca actually do have a chance at the back. If PK can repeat, if Jordi Alba can repeat, and Langley can repeat, the defense will be okay. You thought with Araujo that it'd be all gloom and doom, but it might not be that bad if Langley can repeat his performance. Except Dinamo Kiev to Real Madrid is a big jump up. Uh, that's Be positive that's though, the, Rafa. <laughs> that's the difference. And yeah, the, the best thing we can say about Langley is that we barely mentioned him. And, and that's good. Like if you're if you're a defender for the most part, you don't want to be mentioned because if nobody paid, if nobody's mentioning you, it probably means you did a good job. Because being a defender is an ungrateful job. If you mess, you can be great 99 times, but if you mess up one of those 100 times you're going to get criticized. While if you're a forward, for the most part, you can miss your chances. But if you put one or two away, it's just a, a different setup and whatnot. So Langley, you did a good job. Golf clap. All right. So yeah, there we go. Uh, positives. I feel like we're pushing on. We're carrying on too far to the negatives. But yeah, I have to do it. I already mentioned it. Let's start with the Coutinho point. Oh, gosh. Rafa, I have my spiel. Everybody knows. They're prepared. You hear my energy. It's starting to build up a little bit. But what, and again, I try not to be so critical of, of individual players, but that game changed when he entered the game. And so I truly ask, what is the point of, what in the ever-loving Lord Douglas is the point of playing Felipe Coutinho? I, I just, I'll let you answer first, and then I'm going to tell you why I asked that question. Oh, well, basically, I think it's just a matter of the player hasn't, the thing is, he's done this before. So it sounds like it's something new and he can get excused because of his absence, like you almost a year long absence and coming back from injury, trying to find his match fitness. But the thing is, in my opinion, they're just trying to get however you can, which I don't think it'll be that much his value up a little bit because I agree with you. I don't, I think he's inconsequential to the game. Technically, he's amazing. Nobody can deny that. But he doesn't use that immense skill to Barcelona's advantage. He just has the ball and doesn't do anything with it. He just takes like four or five quick quick touches that they look pretty, but they don't end up doing anything. Like you see Gabi, who's 17 years old, and everything he does is way more consequential than everything Coutinho does. So like Coutinho doesn't offer you absolute absolutely anything because he's not fast enough to be a winger. So he doesn't have that because you can have a really fast player down the wing who maybe he's not as good, but just out of sheer speed can create danger for your team. Technically in, in, in the middle of the pitch, he just doesn't, he's really good technically. So if you pass him the ball, maybe he can receive the ball, turn it around and whatnot, but then he doesn't do anything for the most part. He just, Four quick touches, they look pretty and just passes the ball back. So what the hell did you do? Like that was inconsequential. Like you didn't do anything with the ball. So I get your frustration, but at the same time, I kind of understand how they're trying to go about it. Like he's technically, he still has a little bit of a safety net that he's coming back from a year long injury, serious injury, trying to get match fitness. But then you see Ansu who kind of had the same injury ish for the most part. The worst and one. yes, Actually, he still like has to yeah. work up his match fitness and like do it for 90 minutes and whatnot. But like Ansu <laughs> has been a hundred times more consequential at Coutinho and they've been out 
basically for the same amount of time with a knee injury. So it's like, if you want to be a Coutinho apologist, you can hang on to something. But if you want to be a Coutinho hater, you can also hang on to something. So I kind of get both sides. I, I don't even think, honestly, the way that I'm so deep down this this rant or this rabbit hole that I'm about <laughs> to go down, that this is actually not an indictment of Coutinho. Like, this is actually still a frustration of the move that I started yelling about in 2017 at, at Bartomeu. Not only did, when Messi was around, Felipe Coutinho was never going to make sense because even the player for Liverpool, and it's a big reminder, this is no disrespect to the player that he is, but he was only good for, what, 10 months, 11 months? Right? The best Coutinho from Espanyol to Inter Milan to Liverpool to Barcelona, no matter, or even Bayern Munich, no matter where you've seen Coutinho, he has only truly been good. Like a world-class player, the kind of player that Barca that you want an attacking midfielder. Basically, if you're an attacking midfielder and you play at a, you know, a team that's supposed to win the Champions League or a team that has Champions League contending money, if you will, or spends that kind of on that that kind of number on players that Barca in theory at the time had all that money, you know, if you're going to spend if, if you're that kind of player that that is an attacking midfielder to come to one of these clubs as a transfer, then you've got to be somebody that really does break everything down. Either you're Mohamed Salah and you can go around people, or you're even James Rodriguez, who is basically, I think, uh, I mean, that's the best comparison of Coutinho, right? That it's this almost this luxury number 10 that doesn't really fit in these top sides anymore because these top sides have to revolve around other players. And so as long as Messi was around, Coutinho never made sense because he doesn't add width to the left wing. And so for Coutinho, when I say what's the point of Coutinho, it's again, not an indictment of Coutinho. It's saying that he cannot beat or break down people 1v1 on the left side. So where Barcelona, when you have the, the talent of Ansu Fati, you have the talent of Jordi Alba, and then you have basically either Gabi or if Frankie is playing as a left midfielder, if Gabi comes off the field, who is a midfielder that is there to support them as an interior, merely as an interior to basically take the wall passes and prepare for Alba or Fati to lose the ball and defend immediately. Coutinho doesn't defend and he clogs up that left side. So, so I think the, the options you have are one, you don't actually play Coutinho and Ansu together because Ansu needs that space on that left wing. And then if you have Coutinho, Ansu and Alba on the left wing, it's just, it's not going to work. It clogs it up and it's easy to defend. And that's why even though Coutinho came on, no, they came on together, right? Against Dinamo Kiev, which yeah. is different than Valencia, where Coutinho came on for Ansu Fati. And that's why I thought Coutinho was better, if you will, quotes there, better against Valencia, because there was more room, at least, for him to work with. But he also doesn't really have that through ball or that diagonal ball that you're supposed to, especially cutting in on the right. He just has that shot that he can or doesn't take because guys know what he's going to do by this point. It's not a surprise anymore. And again, he one time he beat somebody off the dribble and then the cross, I mean, it was kicked out for a, a corner kick, but once in that game did that work out. So again, it's not an indictment of Coutinho necessarily. It's that, I mean, there is a particular set of things that he has that he, I mean, that you're asking of him on the field, depending on what his role is. And he doesn't really do any of those things. Even if saying people say, oh, he should be an interior, then put him in the midfield. But look at the work rate that Gabi and Pedri and De Jong, those interiors have to do to support Busquets. And this is going to open up a larger discussion. I'm about to have Busquets because I do you want to respond to Coutinho. Cause I, I, you, I have warned you though, too. I have a Ricky Poos thing. I think it all connects. You want to hear the Ricky Poos? Why don't you respond to Coutinho first? Yeah. The, the thing with Coutinho is that he's not fast enough to play as a winger and make a difference. So that takes him out of the equation on, on, on the wings. And then as an interior, in theory, the best case scenario, he was quote unquote supposed to be Iniesta, Iniesta's replacement. But we all know being an interior in Barcelona, the intricacy of playing as an interior, whether it's on the left or on the right, it's it's so freaking hard. And it's, it's just, you can be a great midfielder for another team playing as a number 10 and whatnot, but then you come in and Barcelona plays an interior. And it's a whole different ball game, and I think that's what we've seen with Coutinho. He hasn't been able to learn the intricacies of playing as an interior in the four-three-three at Barcelona. That's why when you see Gabi and even Enrique Puig, who come in and they look a hundred times better than Coutinho playing in that four-three-three, and even Frankie, who's taking, I think it's taking him a little, like a little bit of time to even understand that. Like, it's just, it's just, he, he doesn't, sadly, he has it, understand, understand the, the intricacies of playing in that role. So, yeah, in the pecking order, 
You have Pedri over him. You got Frankie over him. This year, you got Gawi over him. And honestly, if you're, I know not for Kuman, but for me, I think Ricky Push should be above him in the pecking order. So that would leave him as what? The fourth, I mean, uh, fifth option for those two spots in the midfield? Yeah, I mean, the formation, as I said, the system has to revolve around him. You have to have two defensive midfielders behind him as a number 10. And even one of those defensive midfielders shouldn't be Busquets because he cannot cover, that being Coutinho, you know, Gabi, Pedri, these players are covering for Busquets on that counterattack as well in that rest defense. And Coutinho is not in the right spots to do that. So you basically need to set up a system around him. And he's just not a difference maker enough of a player. Again, it was four years ago when he was that difference maker and he's either been stripped of his confidence because I don't want to, it's all just not heaping on Coutinho. It's saying that Coutinho just doesn't fit and Barca have not been able to offload him as desperately as they've wanted to. They made the mistake. And again, this is all about Bartomeu more than it is Coutinho. They made the mistake to bring him on for the money they did. So it's impossible to get him off the books. And so I, and why would he leave? I totally understand how Kuman is throwing out these things like, oh, we trust Coutinho because you cannot say that that kind of player is not trusted or not part of the team or whatever. Like it, it just, it ruins the locker room. It does a whole thing. Another question. I really only had two big criticisms of Kuman in this game. Uh, well, three. Okay. Three. Number two, two, number two, negative. Explain to me like I'm five. Why when Sergio Roberto came on the field, I'm not questioning that Sergio Roberto came on the field. Cause I know people in the comments will be like, Oh, Roberto, get him out of my club. I get it. Fine. Whatever. But actually he was good against Valencia, did the job. We talked about it on Monday. So lay off him. I am not going to be surprised if he starts at right back or that pseudo right back, uh, you know, right center back position against, against Real Madrid. Leave me alone. But why, when he came on the field, was he playing on the right wing and Dest was pushed back to right back? Again, explain that to me like I'm five, Rafa, because I, I could not fathom or understand why Sergino Dest, who has been better now, he was better last year and he's been better now when he plays as a right winger with Mengetha or Roberto or some kind of, again, more defensive-minded right back in behind him. Why would, you put the, the, why would you put the player that can't take on the opposition 1v1 on the dribble and put him as the right winger and then put the guy who is not as good defending and make him the right back? I just, I... <laughs> It's not that I, I, the only logical explanation, which I don't know if it's even logical. I know that's a little bit contradictory, but it's just that the fresher player was coming on and he might be able to run around and chase people it. a little Love bit it. better. <laughs> Love it. It's, that's the, that's the American heart and grit and desire, right? Like that's the intangibles that we can't understand, right? We can't understand that it's really just about fitness and heart and desire. I'm being- Yeah, I, so I, I think that's it. I get it. Because right. logically, I agree. There, there's no logical explanation because obviously the danger that Torino this creates on the wing is like, he, he, <laughs> I mean, I can't even speak. Like Sergi Roberto can't do that mm. ever. So- I just thought it was maybe a physical thing, somebody fresher, pressing, like who can press, run around like a headless chicken, maybe a little bit more and whatnot. So I think that that's, I'm just like trying to grasp it. Strauss, that's the only thing. One more kind of argument that because that, it wasn't just that substitution, but Barca were then kind of on the the, the back foot. You know, Dino Mokia were actually better in the second half. And so Des had to do more defending than Mingaitha did in the first half, which again. So the, the other thing about the push that I want to have here, uh, and I called it as my headline, no rest for the weary, because it was worrying that in a Champions League game that mattered, yes, I understand that the one nothing. I get why Busquets and Young had to finish out that game because, you know, Dinamo Kiev, something happens and a goal was scored because Nico Gonzalez made him that didn't check his shoulder or made a mistake. And now Barca's out of the Champions League. And it's all Nico Gonzalez's fault. And it's almost a death now for his Barca career. So I understand why De Jong and Busquets were not rotated. But that becomes a really worrying sign for Barcelona. That Busquets played 90 against Valencia. He's going to play 90 against Dinamo Kiev. He played 90 against Dinamo Kiev. And you bet your bottom dollar he's going to be expected to play 90 against Real Madrid. If Barca is going to get a positive result. And that's not great. He's 33 years old. He's like, it's not, it's not even about him being slow. It's just... That's too, like, De Jong should be rotated at this point, not just Busquets. And so to that point, here's, here's my Ricky Pooh thing. I'm trying to, over the course of a season, it's October. I think I've done four or five to ten different angles with Ricky Pooh I've got one more for everybody. So I don't think we see Ricky Pooh on the field as long as Busquets is playing 90 minutes. And I, I think I, I thought of this quite simply, that Pooh, when he enters a game, it's because 
Kuhlman is throwing everybody forward, needs to overturn some kind of result. And I've mentioned before, Ricky Pooj is not so terrible in a 1v1 tackle or whatever. That's not what we're looking at. But advanced metrics-wise, Ricky Pooj is in the bottom third percentile on ball recoveries, on interceptions, on defensive awareness of reading the game. Those numbers are so low. Ricky Pooch is not a good team defender. He, they cannot defend as a unit with Pooch on the field. And that is fine if you have a mobile defensive midfielder or destroyer or whatever it is covering in that space because Pooch gives you so much offensively that it's, will, it's, it's, it's okay to take that risk with a, a player like that. And so it's not so much that it's Pooch because we know what Pooch does well and he deserves minutes for what he does well. But He's not playing because Busquets is always playing 90 minutes and never rotated. When De Young is playing the pivot, Pooj makes so much more sense. If you're going to pair Pooj with Pedri, it makes so much more sense. Or Gabi, right? Like guys that are just covering so many blades of grass and they're a bit more of tough tackling and they're just setting themselves up better for when Barca lose the ball, which Pooj does. But when he does lose the ball, again, it's not an indictment of Pooj. When he does lose the ball, it's, it's that Barca have to be in the right spot to prepare for that. And if you're going to play Pooj, then Busquets is not going to be able to cover for that space. And that just puts too much on De Jong. And now De Jong is moving sideline to sideline, where ideally, as I said, one of my positives was that Busquets and De Jong, if they're able to just kind of stay in the middle of the field, if we're able to keep De Jong in that main channel, that main third of the field, so he doesn't have to defend every, right, if I'm blade to blade, sideline to sideline, horizontally, because the wings are that dangerous, meaning De Jong, Dest, Fatih, you know, those kind of players that stretch and, and st- actually stretch the field and then defend on the on the wings as well, then Pooch makes more sense alongside, you know, De Jong, sure. And maybe again a Nico or Gavi or Pedri. But as long as Busquets is playing 90 minutes, I don't I don't see how we see Ricky Pooch. So that's I mean that's my final explanation as to why Pooch isn't gonna make sense. It's it doesn't have to do with what he does offensively. It has to do with Barca defending. No, I, I mean, it, it does make sense that you make a great point with all those offensive stats. And that's probably why Ricky doesn't play that much. Like that's, I think, been like the mystery with Barcelona for the past two years. Why doesn't Ricky Push play more? Which I think he should play more. Um, but the thing is, I although I do agree with everything that you just said, what I think pisses a lot of people off is that Yes, that makes sense. That's probably why. But then you see somebody like Kuman playing somebody like Luke de Jong. And then Barcelona are basically playing with 10 because he doesn't do anything well. Doesn't pressure, is not fast, is not good with the ball at his feet. In the air, he sucks. So for somebody who's like... Rafa, no, no, let's go all in. No, no I love this. I love this. Let's go all in. I said this off the air after the FC Barcelona Twitch stream to our producer, and I'm committing to it. Ricky Puj came up in La Masia playing as a false nine. Honestly, I don't want to see Ricky Puj playing false nine for Barcelona, but I honestly, honestly would rather see Puj as a false nine returning to his roots than seeing Luke de Jong on the field, because you're absolutely right that it makes more sense the way Barca are playing to have Ricky Puj just running up top with a chicken with his head cut off, and maybe he will find the final ball to Fati or Memphis or one of those wings or something. Like, I would actually have Pooj play as a false nine and return to his uh, Huberneau Ah roots than actually have Luke de Young do absolutely nothing. I'm cle- I completely, completely agree. agree. Let's go agree all you. in, galaxy brain, and I don't care. The thing is, like, this Luke de Young experiment has to end. I'm sorry for him. He might be a sorry, great person. Aguero's, Aguero's, like, finding fitness. Fati is going to be able to play 90 minutes. That Luke, Luke is gone by what? I mean, uh, next match or two matches from now? Maybe. I hope so, but even then... Obviously, crossing our fingers at Ansu, um, Aguero, and Dembele are, are fit throughout the entire year. But in the case that they're not, they miss more games. I still don't think, I think the experiment should end like plain and simple. And then just either play Coutinho as a false nine or play Ricky Bush as a false nine. Because look, the young doesn't do absolutely anything. Even in the air, he's horrible. He's so slow. Like, it's not like he's creating danger like unless you literally cross the ball to his forehead he's not doing anything like how many crosses has been have been thrown at him and he's so slow he doesn't like get off his defender they just go over him so but obviously i know that this is about ricky push but what i'm trying to get at is that i understand everything that you said and i agree with it and then i think that's what pisses a lot of people off then yes ricky does have his 
lapses and things he's not that good at that might explain why he doesn't play. I think he should play more. But then you see somebody like Luke De Jong who has, who doesn't deserve to be playing in the biggest Champions League game of the season because if you lose, you're probably out. Then, then it just doesn't make any sense because every everybody can see that. Like we might disagree. Oh, Pedri needs to play. Gabi needs to play. Uh, Frankie, uh, whatever that might be, or Eddie Garcia or Lenglet. That could be a topic of discussion. But I don't think it's a topic of discussion whether Luke De Jong should play or not. Even when Ansu can't play three straight games in a week, Aguero's coming back. Dembélé is still injured. That's how bad he's been that you might as well play with either Coutinho or Ricky Bush as a false nine instead of um, Luke because he's he's horrible. So it's just so frustrating to watch. I mean, I don't, I think it's always a bit unfair. I don't want to completely pile on De Young. I think some of Luke De Young's movement off the ball is what helped make death so wide open. Like on the two crosses from Alba that were low and hard, if De Young doesn't, I mean, he was contending with those, both Dinamo Kiev center backs. So, no, Luke Young doesn't make he doesn't actually do anything in comparison to the number nines that we're expecting. But he was creating space for Alba and Dest. But yeah, the second that someone else is more available, yeah. I mean, I think we're not say we're a bit tough on Luke Young. I mean, I get it, but I also hope that they for his betterment, like for the betterment of Luke Young, I hope that they cancel his loan in January. Uh, I think I think real quick. I think it's just on top of what we see on the pitch. I think it's a sum of all things that he was a Kuman petition. And I know how things are with Kuman and the fan base. So that adds even a little bit better, like even like this but, Kuman, you wanted him. Well, yeah, He's I not at, the uh, Neymar quote, the Neymar quote we're seeing. And then you say yeah. the Neymar quote, yeah. it, it doesn't help. Then you see, I know comparison is, is it's just there. There's a word that I can't use here, but you see somebody like Falcao who was not free, but he was like, gonna be free after I remember Galatasaray or I don't remember what Turkish team he was on but then you see Falcao come in in La Liga with Rayo Vallecano and you're like Jesus like we if we had Falcao we would probably be like top of the league right now like the chances Luke has missed or hasn't done anything in the league not talking about the Champions League but in La Liga you see like we could have been like either top two with Falcao. So it just like adds up to everything. And it's, it's even more frustrating. Well, it's also like you understand from Falcao's perspective, that not only do you not know if Falcao was ever even offered, but for Falcao, it's like, hey, when Aguero and, and Ansu and Dembele and everybody comes back, you're not going to be first choice. But you go to Rio and you get to be the king. Uh, and you also, I mean, obviously he's leading them in, in a really great way in the table right now. But uh, again, for as terrible as it is for Luke de Young, he also was one of the only forwards in the world that I think accepted that he would immediately be the third, fourth choice once everybody got healthy. So we're really, again, talking about Luke de Young in, I'm, I'm thinking days as opposed to like months and months, right? Like you're thinking of that in days. So, all right. Speaking of forwards, Ansu Fati renewed. Uh, we were talking about some of the hurdles on uh, Monday show. We were talking about some of the hurdles last week. I was a little worried about Jorge Mendez. We were worried about how that contract was going to be structured, but I mean, this is a bit of propaganda from the club because they immediately came out with it after the Champions League, you know, and I think people were mad. As I said, I think fans were overt. I complained about it, but I think fans were a bit overtly angry because the Champions League was just three points. Now it's on to El Clasico. But the club, I think, felt necessary to kind of throw that good news out there, make everybody feel good. And the number I think that makes everyone feel good, really, is that it's a 2027 number. And what it looks like is he's making almost half of what he would have made. Apparently the reports are he was making half of what he would have made at PSG or basically what he's being offered to for comparison to Mbappe's contract at PSG at the same time. Yeah. Fatih is taking like 60% of that or something. And the, even the things he said, like, yes, you're always going to say the right things, but apparently even the agents that like, got away from him, that Ansu was like, I want to stay here. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's get this done. And it's been weird to me, Rafa, because I saw this like, almost as counter argument to like, oh, we're overhyping Fatih. We're going too crazy about Ansu. But I mean, having, I know we don't get excited about contracts and renewals as a you know, club and social media thinks that we're supposed to like jump for joy. It is so incredibly good for Barcelona to have Pedri locked up till 2026 and Fatih locked up till 2027 on billion euro release clauses. That means that a billion is hard to both stay under what is 
nonsensical financial fair play, which is not real. We know it's not real. So to not break, you know, the, the shroud of financial fair play, you know, even if a club comes in and play, pays a one billion, Newcastle United, and 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 Barcelona lose Ansu Fati or Pedri on, you know, on a because their release clause was paid. That doesn't mean that those players even want to go to Newcastle, like, or they don't want to go to PSG or Man City. Um, so to have him, he was the one that we were worried about because he is, well, you know, he's not perfect since he came back. He's still reminded that he's 18, 19 next week. But Ansu was Barca's best player. I, I said it against Valencia, even against Dinamo Kiev. Uh, it wasn't great, but again, he was constantly doubled, constantly triple teamed. And that's, I'm not making an excuse for him, but I'm saying is that he already has that gravitational pull that, I mean, if I'm Memphis, I'm so excited that he's back because I know I'm going to be wide open so many times this season because even if Ansu, again, is being a bit selfish, uh, his decision-making has not been awesome since he came back. He's been missing passes, he's been missing open guys. But if he can get that nailed down and get some good in-match chemistry with his teammates, yeah, it's a good day for Memphis at the offense. No, I, I agree. And then having Jorge Mendes, like, I think that was, like, everybody's fear because, I mean, it's him and Mino Rayola who control the football world. So if Ansu hadn't been stubborn in a good way that I don't want to go anywhere, I want to stay here, then they would have done their best to try and get their client to either have Barcelona pay a ridiculous amount salary-wise to keep keep him or try and move him. So the fact that Ansu was not having it whatsoever and just wanted to stay at Barcelona, that like we gotta like kiss Ansu's feet because it, it made it a hundred times easier for Laporta to negotiate with Mendes because he's like what are you doing? Like, he doesn't want to go anywhere. So it's just like that. Like Mendes couldn't like sprinkle his evil seeds over him to try and like move him away. Like the, the contrary to like a, a Xavi Simons who had the first chance he got to move away and go to PSG, he took it. So it's just two different breeds of players. And then wait, 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 can I, I want to defend Xavi Simons a little bit though. I he came up to the news again. I actually want to remind people that Xavi Simmons was the third or fourth choice center midfielder on that cadet A team. He had fallen down the depth chart. You know, he's so famous on Instagram and that's what everybody knows him. But, you know, not all of our listeners care who Chus Alba is or who Jorge Alastui is, who's still with Juvenal Bay. But Jorge Alastui was the captain of that team in the midfield. He did get an ACL injury that kind of derailed him. So he is a little bit behind the curve now. But Chus Alba is playing for Juvenal A right now. And because... Xavi Simmons had things in his contract that got him in the first team training with PSG. I mean, that was part of the incentives of that deal as well. Right. And so Barca's like, we're not going to pay you these kind of incentives because have you ever heard of Gabi, right? Xavi. Uh, I, I mean, like there's, I mean, they're the same age and, 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 and Gabi was already playing the levels up from like, so when they were cadet, ah, Gabi was already playing for Juvenal Bay at the same age. And cause they're the same age. And, and, and it goes back in to Gabi, Chus Alba, um, again, Al Stewie at the time. So looking for Savi Simmons, he was so far down even the Cadet A and Juvenal Bay depth chart that obviously he took the money the PhD were offering because they wanted the glitz and the glamour of taking this huge Barca La Masia star. And they, you know, and it was going to be good press for them. And they took it. I, I, I agree, but at, at the same time, we're talking about the, the two ages in control of the world. And Xavi Simmons' agent is the other guy, Mino Rayola. Right. So... At the same time, he was easier to convince because of what you said, but still with the glitz and glamour, Ansu isn't like that at the moment. And the ironic thing is, during that same summer, Ansu was, I think, either going to be able to sign with somebody, with whoever he wanted or close to. And all the headlines were, oh, my God, Xavi Simons left Barcelona. Oh, my God, Xavi Simons. And it was like kind of like swept under the rug that Bartomeu and everybody renewed Ansu Fati. So out of all the bad things that Bartomeu has done, this is one of like the good things that he did. Like everybody was criticizing Bartomeu for like, oh my God, how can you let, let Xavi Simons go and blah, blah, blah. But during that same summer. That's not what I bring up when I talk about Bartomeu, but <laughs> hey, that's not hey, the Bartomeu list. <laughs> there's a hundred, he's done a bunch of bad things. Don't get me wrong. And then people... Not coming because the they think pick. I'm a Bartomeu apologist and whatnot. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I know. He's done a lot of bad things. But the few that good that he's done, like, yeah, we got to mention them. And I this is one of the Pep Segura, too. That was one of the final. Actually, I think it was Pep Segura that made that decision. It was one of the final. And he, even, but like, 
under Bartomeu and like Pedri, Frankie de Young, like he's had some that are still being like we're reaping benefits of those the same and way we're and we also don't talk about like the scouts and the guys behind the scenes like Matteo Alemani and Matteo Alemani has been huge for the Ansu thing apparently he was the one that went to Portugal to meet with Jorge Mendes after Mendes had come to Barcelona just to kind of check up on his client which yeah. is basically just a scare tactic. But it's the same thing like the 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 I agree with you like the the person that gets the praise for the most part is the head of the snake the figurehead it's like Sure. Ronaldinho, like the photo with uh, Laporta, like Ronaldinho was went to Barcelona because of Sandro Rosella and his Nike Brazilian connections. Mm-hmm. The shadiness of those is another topic of discussion, but it was because of Sandro Rosell. Yet the picture is Laporta with Ronaldinho and whatnot. So I agree with you. Like the people that get the credit of good signings are like the figurehead, the president, but below them, the people that actually do the groundwork, they don't get talked about barely or at all so yeah but like Roka, like going back to Ansu and whatnot I agree with you like on the pitch he was great with Valencia he wasn't that great with Vietnam okay but they were two different games you've been you've explained perfectly the nuances of those two games and I wanted to add like you saying Memphis is one of the players that is the most happy that Ansu is back because they're gonna reap benefits of that but I'm thinking even ahead I'm like you can't see the drill here but like At the thought of, I don't know if it's going to work out, but the thought of Ansu on the left, Memphis up front, and Dembele on the right. If somebody, like, if you're trying to defend that and you want to overload Ansu's side because at the end of the day, he's the best player, he he is, you do know that <laughs> if Barcelona are able to quickly switch play to the other side, you got basically the Usain Bolt of football on the other side with his pros and cons and whatnot. But if you give space to Dembele, I don't even want to think what he's capable of, of like taking advantage of all the space that Ansu is going to create for him by drawing that much attention to the left side. So I'm just like being a hopeful romantic of like what could be of that trio up top when Dembélé is fit. Yeah, unfortunately, we won't see Dembélé against El Clas- uh, against Real Madrid and El Clasico, but I think time to preview that. The question I think about which Barcelona we'll see, we know what that is. You know, We hope it's the one we saw against Valencia. We hope it's the one we saw against Levante. And we've seen different rough versions of Barcelona. I think the mistakes that they made and the problems with Barca have not always been the same one. You can go back to listen to, or just watch on YouTube, my match reviews for Granada and Cadiz. Both of them were like having a root canal, but it was different teeth. It was different. It was different flavors of- Different of, technique. Yeah, like I'm not really a fan of this, but why, right? And Granada to me was actually much more painful than Cadiz than zero zero. But I think Real Madrid's actually asking the same question. Are we going to see the leaky one that started the season against Levante? Are we going to see the mess that Bar- that Real Madrid were against Sheriff? Are we going to see the dominating side against Shakhtar Donetsk midweek, 5-0? Are we going to see the mentally weak side against Espanyol, where, you know, everybody in Madrid, Marca and everybody, were just getting on them about the way they played against Espanyol because they just, they were not good enough. They were, they were second best in that game. And it wasn't just like against, against Sheriff. It was one of those, like, we're never going to break through these guys. These guys are just making a brick wall. Espanol was actually giving them like, hey, you know, if you guys want to be Real Madrid, fine, you know, take it to us. But they lost. They still couldn't get through. And for for Real Madrid, all we know is that Kareem Benzema was going to show up. Nine goals, seven assists already this year. Vinicius Jr. might show up. He has five goals, three assists, does always play well against Barca. I think he's played, actually he plays better against Barca and Real Sociedad, I think, than anybody else. And those are two of the best teams in the league. But yeah, we know Benzema's going to show up. So much to the point that people are starting the stupid Ballon d'Or Benzema thing. It's like, hey, if you're going to mention a guy in a Ballon d'Or category, don't bring it up in the second week of October. Like, if you want to give a Ballon d'Or every month, then Cream Benzema, you have won the September Ballon d'Or or the October, the first three weeks of October Ballon d'Or. Congratulations to Cream Benzema. But I mean, yeah, come on. But anyway, Cream Benzema has been good, and he's he's right to be the most important player in that game. I think he's he's the guy to circle for both teams. How if, if, if Real Madrid can win early. If Kareem Benzema's on his day that day, I think you you hit the nail nail on the head. I think it's for both teams. It's just a matter of which Barcelona is going to show up and which Real Madrid is going to show up. Both teams, I know Barcelona has gotten more slack. I think 
undeservedly way more than Real Madrid. I think they've both been Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for the most part. You don't know which one you're going to get. So you can expect Vinicius, he's going to create danger just by with his dribbling ability and speed. Whether the end product will be there or not, again, nobody knows. One game, Vinicius looks like Ronaldinho, and the other one, he looks like Rovinho. So like we don't know. I think the only consistent player for Real Madrid has been Benzema for the past year, year and a half. So if we're trying to like preview the Clásico and guess, I think in my opinion, the only player we can be 100% sure for the most part that will be really good will be Benzema. Because even the midfield, um, because of their age, Cross and Modric, you don't know which one you're going to get. Well, and I think it's totally it. normal. Casemiro has been good. And Casemiro I, hasn't been good. Because I hate Casemiro, but I actually think he's been good. Um, and then Fede Valverde is actually, who was, again, another player who plays well against Barca, has not been good this season. Real Madrid fans have kind of been out on him. And Kamavinga is, not that he's young, but, I mean, he's still a bit unproven. I think they're still kind of, you know, Carlo Ancelotti is kind of letting him in slowly. I'm worried. I'm worried to see a Kamavinga, like, masterclass, right? I'm worried to have him really have a good performance and like that sets a narrative or whatever right because right now barca and i'm finally able to get these dream team videos out maybe today or tomorrow that the you know the the idea that barca being able to take back you know we're going to win the golden boys we have the next generation we have the future both of the spanish national team and the liga in our side and Kamavinga, i could see him having a really good match and all of a sudden it's like oh well he's equal to the combination of ansu and pedri and gabi and Right. And then it, it yeah. starts to change the narrative. But yeah, you're right that the midfield for Real Madrid, the names are scary and people know the names. But if you watch them week to week to week to week, you don't know what you're going to get from Modric. He he could put on a masterclass like he did last year. He was really good against Barcelona on both in both matches, or at least for a match and a half of it. The, the, really, I think the question comes down to their back line, just like with Barcelona's, where if Barcelona back line is good, then it'll be a tight cagey affair. It might even be zero zero. But, you know, if Militao is bad, then Real Madrid are going to struggle. If he's good, then they're going to be fine. Because the other, right now it's David Alaba, definitely going to start. And then the other one is probably Militao, but he's been hot or cold this year. Nacho Fernandez has been very bad. Maybe his worst season in Real Madrid uniform. And then Jesus Fallejo does not scare me in any way. I, I'm not too afraid of that, that Madrid back line. Because even that, the Mendy, Marce, uh, Marcelo, Mendy has not been as good as he was last year. I mean, he was very good last year and he's kind of been, you know, hot or cold. And then Lucas Vasquez, I, I'm supposed to be afraid of Lucas, not afraid, I'm supposed to be afraid of Lucas Vasquez, but I mean, I don't, he's just a good player. He's a solid, good player. He's a bet, he's a bit, a bit better than Sergio Roberto, but I think if Kool-Aid's were nicer to Sergio Roberto, they would be compared to one another. <laughs> like, that's like the same thing. Like, Lucas Vasquez might be Barcelona. I hope he doesn't, but I also shouldn't, ex- I shouldn't be forced to expect him to. Yeah, I think the same worries that a team might have are kind of ish the same as the other ones because let's say if from a Barcelona uh, point of view we're worried about Vinicius's speed and dribbling ability because whether like it's Mingueza or Sejinho this he can go by probably anybody and then the center back that plays near the right back is PK so and obviously he can go by PK so we're worried about that but if you go to the other side it's the same thing like who is going to play as their right back? Lucas Vasquez, Carvajal, if he's fit, he hasn't played in what almost the entire season. So you're going to throw Carvajal coming back from injury against Ansu Fati? Probably not. So let's see. Let's say Lucas Vasquez. Lucas Vasquez isn't a right back. He's a makeshift right back, like Sergi Roberto. So who's going to help him? Casemiro? He's going to overcompensate. What if Ansu Fati blows by Lucas Vasquez? Then who's going to cover him? Militao? Militao, like you said. We don't know which Militao we're going to get. Are we going to get the Militao from the first year and a half of Madrid, who was really bad, or the Militao from the last few months of last season, who was really good? Like We, we don't know. Real Madrid fans don't know. So I think the, the two most consistent players for Real Madrid have been Benzema and Courtois. And when your keeper is your arguably has been your second best player, that just means that your midfield and your defense hasn't been playing that well because if they're taking shots at your keeper, that means the line in front of him and the line in front of them haven't been doing their job to stop that. So at the end of the day, I think this is one of the hardest classicos to kind of get a grasp on because both teams, I know Madrid are coming 
like riding the wave of trashing um, Shakhtar away. So people might give them the, 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 the nod and like the favoritism. But being honest with you, I this Clásico could go either way. And there's so many vital players like Barcelona. PK is old. Jordi Alba is old. You don't know which one you're going to get. You can either get the PK against Valencia or the PK against Dinamo Kiev. You might get the Jordi Alba from Valencia, who was hor- like that clear uh, attempt that he did ended up in Gaia's goal or the great Jordi Alba performance against Dinamo Kiev. Same with Madrid. You got like old players that are really were world-class and still can be world-class on certain days, but can't be world-class throughout the entire season because of their age. So again, I just think it's just like whether people want to admit it, Madrid and Barcelona are really on the same boat that we just don't know which one is going to show up on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, Real Madrid, obviously, I, I think they're the favorites in the game. I think even at, at the Camp Nou, and that's, we don't have time to discuss this today, we've been kind of getting with it. We did a little bit on Monday with Barcelona. But yeah, I mean, is the Camp Nou going to be a fortress? Is home field advantage going to matter? Uh, I'm not sure about that, right? Like, I think everyone's a bit skeptical of that. But yeah, it, it's true. Real Madrid, I think, are the better team this season. But also, Real Madrid have bad performances in them. And are those players going to be able to get up against Barcelona in the same way? Can Barcelona ride the wave of two positive results? And can they ride the wave of feeling like, as I said, I feel like with Ansu starting, uh, even if he hasn't been perfect in coming back, I feel like they're comfortable in that 3-5-2. I guess it's 3-5-2, right? Or what am I saying? Yeah. So anyway, I think they're comfortable in, in that setup. In, uh, that they played against Valencia. I think they're set up in that formation and they're comfortable with it, even though they haven't been playing it very often. They played it last year. And, and so going back to it, going back to the well and having Dest in really good form, as we talked about the players hot and cold, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Like if Barcelona do get a result, the, the problem that we must ask ourselves as Kool-Aid is always the same one, that you feel like in El Clasico that Real Madrid can be the worst team and get the result. And you always feel like if Barcelona are going to beat Real Madrid, they have to be the better team. And I think that's what always just doesn't sit well with me and why it's it's so hard at the end of the day to, to pick Barca against Real Madrid at this juncture because Real Madrid uh, because Real Madrid are the better team for Barca at this moment. So we're supposed to just assume, we're supposed to just like knee-jerk reaction say that of course Madrid's going to win because they're currently the better team. But because if Barca's going to beat Madrid, they have to be the superior side going into that match. I think it's a little unfair to Barca, but I'll give you the final word here, uh, Rafa. No, I, I think they might be the better team, but like, honestly, it's, I, in my opinion, it's just like, if you're watching this, just like by this tiny bit, like the whole narrative is just like Barcelona, this first, the start of the season, because of everything that's happened with Barcelona has been a hellhole. So even with everything that's go- gone on, I don't think Madrid have been that much. They might have been a little better, but there's still been games that they've been completely outplayed by their opponent. And if their opponent was a little bit crispier in the final third, they like the game against Inter Milan that they then ended up winning like in the last, like the 80th minute, like that first half, Inter Milan ran over them and just like bad finishing didn't have them going to the break like 3-0 down. Like against uh, Valencia, which they ended up coming back, just like throwing crosses in the box. They were outplayed by Valencia, by Espanyol. So I, I, I honestly like, like Barcelona is just, I think the main problem has been that we haven't had any firepower whatsoever during the start of the season. It's been Memphis and that's it. So I think that's 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 been part of like the narrative and why I think people might have perceived Madrid as that much better. But honestly, in my opinion, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Madrid can beat us. That's um, that's not what I I don't want to say. And um, I know that, but it's I I honestly like being completely honest. I see Madrid if they're ahead of us, it's literally by a smidge, in my opinion. And that's with them having you could argue the best player out of both teams right now which is Karim Benzema. Well, El Clasico is where legends are made, of course. So Barcelona's new number 10, Ansu Fati has returned. So just sign a renewal. Feels like a really good time to be the best player in El Clasico. And 
and get that uh, narrative train. You know, ESPN FC is already making their their cringeworthy memes. They've got them all set up and, and ready to go. So anyway, well, I, I think that'll wrap it up for another edition of the Barcelona Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod for me at Mescate Un Podcast for Rafa Aldemu. Remember, not only can you hit him up on Twitter, but make sure you check him out on YouTube where he's doing those watch-alongs. I mean, dual screen, live coverage for me for Barca on the Twitch channel, and then also on YouTube for Rafa at Mescate Un Podcast again. And then we're also on Patreon. You can help us continue to make these shows. Always appreciate. Also listen to these without the ads and then we're on youtube with all the things i've been promising people know that i've had some computer problems so a lot of content hopefully coming out over there for the next few days leading to and through el Clasico. so we also do the match reviews you can check that out at the barcelona podcast but most importantly thanks so much for listening to the show until next time we'll talk to you soon of course the barca Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.